A farmer's time is valuable. That's why Blaine's Farm and Fleet has made shopping for your must-haves quick and easy. Simply order online at farmandfleet.com and pick up your items in just one hour in their convenient drive-thru. Or try Farm and Fleet's same-day local delivery option. This is the Midwest Farm Report. From field to fork and everything in between is why the kids from Wisconsin stay. It's a great way to start your It's Friday. We made it. And if you've been to the Wisconsin Corn Soy Expo or the Grassworks Grazing Conference in the Wisconsin Dells, you've already been having fun. I'm Stephanie Hoff, filling in for farm director Pam Yonke. The fabulous farm babe is at the Corn Soy Expo at the Kalahari Resort wrapping things up today. And Charity Seebecker is attending the Grassworks Grazing Conference at Chula Vista, which is happening through tomorrow. You can see pictures at the fabulous farm babe on Facebook. It's a good day to be indoors, that's for sure. We are in a wind chill advisory until noon today. Expect wind chills as low as 25 below zero in parts of central and southern Wisconsin. Stu Muck will be on with us later this morning with more weather details, including oncoming precipitation next week. Also in the hour, we get a look at where Wisconsin's hemp industry is going in 2023 and beyond from a UW-Madison researcher. And before that, we see how agriculture organizations such as CHS are briefing new members of Congress on policy. Thanks for hanging out with me on a Friday. Rural Mutual Insurance, keeping Wisconsin strong. When a company only does business in Wisconsin, that's Wisconsin Strong. Rural Mutual provides all lines of insurance, including commercial, farm, home, and auto. And your premiums stay right here to keep Wisconsin strong. Local agents, local underwriters, local claims adjusters. Rural Mutual Insurance. Keeping Wisconsin strong. We get so focused about what's happening in the economy, whether it has to do with commodity prices, supply chain problems, or workforce challenges. But let's not forget there are other areas to pay attention to that help farm families and rural communities thrive such as health care. I'm Stephanie Hoff from the southern end of the world's longest barn in Madison. And Pam, you have the scoop on the type of hurdles and opportunities rural health organizations are facing in the new year. Even if you don't use it, at least we hope you don't, you probably know where it is, your local hospital. Whether it's in town or out in the country, it is a staple of community. But many of our Wisconsin rural hospitals are facing headwinds in 2023. Workforce shortages, Uh, economic factors in the rural community, funding issues, and health inequity. All of it, something that they're focused in on at the National Rural Health Association. I had a chance to visit with Alan Moore, executive director of the National Rural Health Association, and asked him, quite frankly, start off with what the association is all about and some of the big problems and challenges they're trying to help rural hospitals deal with in 2023. So the National Rural Health Association is a membership organization that does education, networking, and advocacy on behalf of rural communities and rural health care. If you care about rural health, there's a home for you in the National Rural Health Association. 
and that encompasses an awful lot of different things. I said to Alan, I want to talk to him from time to time addressing some of the challenges our rural health care system's facing. But today, we want to focus on one that is far too obvious, I'm afraid, Alan, and that is transportation. I did a story not too long ago talking with our emergency responders about the challenges that they're up against, simply finding volunteers or qualified labor in rural communities. Transportation is something that sounds so simple, but when it comes to providing it in rural communities, can get complicated fast, I'm guessing. Oh, you're absolutely right on that. And I think from a policymaker standpoint, oftentimes they don't realize that transportation is a health care issue. So what exactly do you see when you speak to elected officials, policy developers? What information are you presenting to them to help them really get their arms around how big a situation trying to arrange transportation in rural communities really is? Yeah, well, I think it's important to uh, view it um, from two perspectives. The first one being, and you, you mentioned this already, EMS services. Nationwide, EMS in a rural context is really... It's a patchwork system. Some are volunteers. Some are provided by the local hospital. Some are for-profit companies. But all of them are challenged with finding um, uh, uh, quality staff and making sure that those uh, uh, services are available. That's one. We can talk a lot about that. But two is, is equally important, transportation for community residents to get to their checkups, to get to... Um, uh, see their primary care, and just do the basic health care needs that they have. Well, and as somebody that kind of lived through this experience, unfortunately, when it comes to finding that transportation, the responsibility largely falls on family members, and that creates a stressful situation, too, at times. Well, it does, and I think there's a mis... The truth is, and we all know this, in, in rural communities, there's such a good network, and we all rely on our family members. Um, but unfortunately, sometimes they just aren't available. And I think that's where we really run into the problems of not having, obviously, you don't have public transportation in a rural context. So we have to look towards other solutions. And how do local healthcare providers make sure that their community members have those um, transportation options available? What kind of options have you witnessed yourself, Alan, uh, solutions that might be a little out of the box but still get the job done? Maybe we can uh, parse some suggestions from there. Yeah, i got to tell you, what I see is the most creative um, and uh, option and solution, and the one with the greatest potential is um, the, the utilization of what's called community health workers. These are, are not health care providers. Uh, but trusted resources within the community that oftentimes the local hospital can um, subsidize and pay for their ability to provide transportation and be a, a linkage between the patient and the provider themselves, and as a result of that, sometimes be on call to be able to provide that transportation. One issue that Alan and I had talked about before this conversation is one that we all recognize, labor. Uh, the labor force you, across the United States is still strained. Boy, you get in rural communities, Alan, and start talking about specific things like rural health care, and you can take it across the gamut. We just don't have the ba- bodies out there. Or is Wisconsin unique to that? 
No, unfortunately, that is a top-tier issue. When you talk about rural health, um, traditionally, you're always going to talk about workforce shortages. But everywhere, in every small town across the U.S., we've seen over the last two years this really rise to a critical um, mass issue when it comes to workforce shortages. Across the U.S., um, number one is nursing and and being able to have uh, full-time nursing professionals within the community. Um, Number two is physicians. A lot of physicians have retired over the last uh, couple years um, from a rural context. And recruiting and retaining healthcare professionals in a rural context means you've got to start at home and making sure that the kids within your community realize that healthcare is a career for them. Mm -hmm. Now, that trickle-down effect, lack of labor, lack of workforce in the community, uh, obviously can stymie us in a lot of different ways. One potential link to solutions is something we call telehealth. That's another issue, Alan, though, in Wisconsin. Telehealth kind of relies on broadband Internet access, and we're not necessarily at the top of the heap when it comes to that availability. Do you see potential for that resource, though? I'm hopeful. Uh, there, there simply is not a path forward for healthcare in a rural context without incorporation of telehealth. It's not the end-all solution, but it's such a valuable tool. And to your point, um, we've seen tremendous uptake in telehealth in urban areas since the pandemic over the last couple years. We haven't seen that in rural communities as it should be occurring because of what you uh, highlighted, which is lack of access to broadband. And that, that's got to be addressed um, to make sure that we've got a stable and sustainable health care safety net for our communities as we move forward. Again, if you're just joining us, folks, this is Alan Morgan. He is along with us. He is the uh, executive director of the National Rural Health Association, keeping this conversation going, not just in Wisconsin, but obviously beyond our borders. Alan, I want to go back to something that's occurring because of many of the elements we discussed. Lack of transportation, people can't get where they need to get. Uh, The telehealth need, but no broadband support. The labor issues. And ultimately, you say that is turning in to hospital closures, which can only amplify some of those problems. It's a huge issue. I think most people, when we think about um, uh, 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 employment opportunities and jobs in a rural context, we all think about ag, obviously. But what most people don't realize is that for the majority of county, rural counties across the U.S., healthcare is the largest employer. And for many of these counties, it's the hospital. We've seen 141 rural hospitals close over the last decade. And our great fear is that we're going to see a spike in rural hospital closures in the next 12 to 24 months. As we start to come out of the pandemic, a lot of the federal funds have been dwindled down. Just maintaining that access to 24-7 emergency room service within 30 minutes of where you're at is so vitally important. So it's a huge issue, a huge concern um, that we're trying to uh, highlight on both the local, state, and federal levels. Boy, that is, uh, that is a lot of work to try to get done in a short period of time. I'm sure we'll be visiting with you again, Alan. Again, Alan Morgan joining us to uh, bring your awareness to these situations you may already be living with in rural Wisconsin. A lack of uh, labor, those 
nurses that are so valuable, the do- doctors you lean on. How do you get to them? Rural transportation, an issue. Continued to be frustrated with the lack of broadband expansion in a lot of rural Wisconsin. Like we said, ultimately, that could lead to closures of some of those rural health care facilities right in your backyard. Again, like I said, Alan Morgan along with us. He is the executive director of the National Rural Health Association, headquartered in Washington, D.C., but speaking on behalf of those situations across the United States. Want to find out a little bit more about the association or follow up on some of these details? Ruralhealth.us. That's their website, ruralhealth.us, and we will be chatting with him again soon. From the southern end of the world's longest barn in Madison, I'm Farm Director Pam Yonke. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. The first generation of W. Davies really instilled that work-life balance is important. And if we concentrate on the five-day work week uh, and the f- around the 40 hours a week, really provides that individual that work-life balance. We don't work overtime or uh, very few hours are overtime. We get them out so they can see their families every night, enjoy their time off outside of the workplace. Currently, W.E. Davies and Sons Remodeling is hiring for handy individuals that have a knowledgeable and great skill set in the remodeling or carpentry world. We're also hiring for lead carpenters who have a little bit more of extensive background in remodeling, uh, specifically residential remodeling. You can learn more about the positions, expectations, and benefits at wedaviesremodeling.com under the careers page or on indeed.com you can look up W.E. Davies Remodeling. We have a freaking awesome team. (laughs) Experienced electricians come join our team. Here's Dan, a commercial journeyman forever ready electric. Family company, they take care of people, they take care of their workers. There's a lot of benefits to working forever ready, including the fact that when you work on your education, they do reimburse you for that time. They're very good about sick time and very good about family. Competitive wages, great atmosphere, great benefits. Apply at everreadyelectric.net for all your electrical needs. We are ever ready. Pest control? You've got a guy for that. Car repairs? You probably have a guy for that as well. For someone to custom design a unique piece of jewelry for you or help your current pieces look sparkling fresh, that needs to be William Thomas Custom Jewelry. Affordable and local, William Thomas Custom Jewelry will help you create a desirable, one-of-a-kind piece that you'll be proud to wear for years to come. William Thomas Custom Jewelry. Your inspiration, your custom jeweler. If your conversations always start with the weather, welcome to the Midwest Farm Report. I'm Stephanie Hoff. Thanks for joining us on a Friday morning. While the verdict is in, the nation's most popular groundhog, Mr. Phil Punxsutawney, saw his shadow yesterday, which means below average temperatures for the next six weeks. But if we take a look at our forecast beyond today... It actually appears pretty mild. It's time now for your Compere Financial Egg Weather Update with Stu Muck. Stu, all we have to do is hold on through these icy winds, and then the temperatures look a lot nicer moving forward. Yeah, we do get a warm-up, Stephanie. It's fantastic news, but bear in mind, you know, even I got gotten bed carried away. Thinking about Saturday, warming up in the low 30s. Man, it sounds good. It's still going to be fairly breezy on Saturday. Some wind gusts occasionally up to 25 or near 30 miles per hour a possibility. So although that thermometer is going to show us some low 30s, it still could be pretty chilly 
We'll have to bear that one in mind for Saturday. But a cold start today. That big old moon hung out there to the northwest when I looked out the back door a while ago. And high pressure is building in from the west. That's going to be mostly sunny and still a pretty cold day. Single digits at least above zero ought to show up. That's a start, but it is a very cold day, as we all are well below zero here this morning. So we are going to get too above yet before the day is out. Nothing drastic, but then there will be some moderation. In fact, as high pressure slips on through here through the nighttime, our winds begin turning more west and even southwest. That should happen yet by later today and into the night. Those southwest winds overnight may be enough to push temperatures up a bit. We may drop down to zero or near there early, but we could rise a little bit before daybreak. Oh, nothing more than single digits, but heading in the right direction. And that leads to some of that warm up for Saturday. More cloudy skies around this weekend. That's kind of a downside, but those temperatures moderate. Like I've said, stronger southwest winds Saturday. Not so strong on Sunday, so it warms up more, even warmer into Monday. But Monday, a small chance of a grizzly rain or a sprinkle certainly would appear to be a possibility. One disturbance does slip to our south a little later Monday, Monday night into early Tuesday. We'll call it showers because the air will be fairly warm at that time. There'll be another small chance around a bit later Wednesday on toward Thursday. But temperatures next week remain on the above normal side. Upper 20s are normal right now, and I'd expect to be in the 30s and every so often, maybe even see a 40 next week. So much for that cold spell in this next six weeks of winter, at least according to what the groundhog said. We get a little break this next week. Certainly sounds like better news. But like Stephanie said, hang on, get through the cold tonight and early into tomorrow, and things will improve. I'll have forecast details right after this. Focus on your farm in 2023 with Focus on Energy. Focus on Energy can identify energy efficiency upgrades on your farm, helping you save money on your utility bills for years to come. Get started today by contacting your energy advisor. Call 800-762-7077 or visit focusonenergy.com slash agribusiness to learn more. That's focusonenergy.com slash agribusiness. Focus on Energy, helping farmers save since 2001. Stu, as you said, that thermometer will creep up tomorrow, but don't get carried away. It's certainly not going to be T-shirt and shorts weather by any means, uh, but it will be pretty okay, at least until we start seeing some precipitation on Monday, maybe. Yeah, and that's a possibility. doesn't look to be that big of an event. You brought up shorts. I saw a guy on the sidewalk wearing shorts yesterday. I, I, I didn't want to stop and ask. <laughs> uh, we have a wind chill advisory today. It's in effect till 9 a.m. at La Crosse, 11 a.m. at Mauston. And for the rest of us, the wind chill advisory is in effect until noon. Mostly sunny, cold, and chilly. Single digits today, maybe up to six or better. Wind chill values 15 to 25 below this morning with those northwest winds about five to 15 they'll become southwest this afternoon mostly cloudy early tonight then clearing late we drop to low single digits maybe rising a bit before daybreak with the south wind at 5 to 15 saturday partly sunny increasing clouds breezy even though we make it up to the low 30s 32 or 33 we'll have southwest winds 5 to 15 gusting to 25 wind chill values still a bit below zero Sunday, a mostly cloudy day, mid-30s, with the west winds at 5 to 15. Stephanie, it even sounds pretty good Monday. Mostly cloudy, a little breezy, but most likely we head toward the very low edge of 40 degrees, although there may be a little rain shower around before the day is out. It still sounds like a, a lot more mild conditions than we have at least this morning. Is that rain going to be measurable at all, Stu? 
it, it looks pretty light from everything I've seen, and I've seen a map still indicating snowflakes, so I don't think it's going to be much of an event, just enough to get it damp. And then do any worrying about slippery conditions then if it's you know warm during the day but then below freezing at night? Uh, we'll be right at that freezing point even Monday night. So, yeah, there could be a little slipperiness then. Uh, probably cooler Tuesday night, but that one should be dry. So yeah, just play it with caution early next week. Put it in the back of your mind so it's not a surprise. Well, we'll follow up with you on that on Monday morning. That's your Compere Financial Ag Weather Update with Stu Muck. Compere Financial is your financial partner committed to agriculture and rural America. As always, visit Compere.com. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. When it comes to custom wedding rings, get to know your Denny's Jeweler. Denny's Jewelers does offer affordable custom wedding bands. Whether it be gold, silver, diamonds, gemstones, platinum, you bring your wedding band idea and we'll point you in the right direction. We'll show you all the options. I am Sarah Denny Alexander. Come meet the entire Denny's family at Denny's Jewelers. Huh, nice. Hardwood floor. Or is it? Sounds like a floor. It's not squishy. That's good. Floors aren't supposed to squish. Goes wall to wall, like good floors do. And I'm walking all over it. Usually, a dead giveaway that it's a floor. But it's not a floor. This is a mattress. Charlie Heidel's for 52 days. People like Charlie are scattered all across Dane County. And because the need is there, so are we. This year, we'll supply nearly $400,000 in bedding, furniture, clothing, and household items to people like Charlie. Just one part of the more than $1.4 million in food, shelter, and other goods and services we provide. We're St. Vincent de Paul, helping our neighbors in need. You can't change the price of gas or groceries, but you can change the amount of your energy bill. Benjamin Plumbing is now a certified dealer of Renai tankless water heaters. The number one tankless water heater in North America. They're up to 40% more energy efficient and provide endless hot water. Stop wasting tons of energy keeping 40, 50, even 75 gallons of water hot day and night with your old water heater. Call Benjamin Plumbing today and learn more about the new state-of-the-art, energy-efficient Renai tankless water heaters, including a factory-extended warranty. Save money with endless hot water for your home with a new Renai water heater from Benjamin Plumbing. Hi, Dale Benjamin with Benjamin Plumbing. When we say your plumbing problem is fixed, we mean it. No excuses, I guarantee it. Contact Benjamin Plumbing at BenjaminPlumbing.com. Now you've got a friend in the plumbing business. Benjamin Plumbing. You know when you've really made it? When you finally have your own place and you can decorate it the way you want. Your Aunt Betty used to sleep on that old couch. It's time to turn drab into fab with lazy luxury from Lazy Boy Furnishings and Decor. That chair, it belonged to the dog. Time to start styling. Lazy decorators love Lazy Boy. Lazy Boy Home Furnishings and Decor, Madison, East Springs Drive near East Town Mall. Let our family help your family. This is Matt Gunderson, and this is Elmer. 
our canine cuddle ambassador, here to provide good-natured, loving, fuzzy support to further our level of personal care. Someday you might meet Elmer as we assist you with an individual life celebration. Let our family help your family. Visit GundersonFH.com. Over 100 years as your hometown life celebration center. They say yes to seven straight days. A traveling dress rehearsal for you to get comfortable in the seat and feel the power behind the smartest purchase you've ever made. The seven day, no questions asked return policy, if you need it, at Bergstrom Automotive. Join the Bergstrom Automotive family for the yes. Create the floors you love this season with DIY and budget-friendly flooring from Wiseway. With Wiseway Flooring's direction, you'll only need to be moderately handy to accomplish brand new floors. I'm Mike Yenser at Wiseway Flooring, inviting you to visit our showroom in Watertown, Lake Mills, and Economwalk. See how our do-it-yourself products might be the right thing for you. Commercial or residential, the wise have it. Log on to INeedFlooringNow.com. Suite of Metal Roofing customers choose us because they don't want to worry about their roof anymore. There's no curling, it won't blow off, and you won't find granules in your gutters. It's one and done. It is the last roof you'll ever need. I'm Mike. And Mary Sweeta. Enjoy the long-lasting architectural strength and beauty of a Sweeta Metal Roof. S-W-I-T-A MetalRoofing.com Sweeta Metal Roofing, the last roof you'll ever need. Rob, let me ask you, buddy. Uh, again, I know it's the most nauseating time in all Packers as the offseason and what's Aaron Rodgers going to do. Uh, what do we think? Rodgers on the Pat McAfee show is saying that it was interesting that talks were happening without him as he's uh, golfing out at uh, the Pebble Beach. What do we think here? I think we say good. <laughs> they should happen without him. He's not the general manager and the head coach, right? And, 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 and we've talked about this many, many times on your show. This is where the organization is so out of whack and so dysfunctional is when they start to let one of the inmates run the asylum. And I don't care if that inmate is Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes. They should have no say in personnel. The fact they turned this over to him a couple of years ago and let him have you know, any kind of say in this with a with a Randall Cobb or a Mercedes Lewis or whoever. And, you know, now he's clamoring to bring all his pals back and stuff like that. <laughs> if if that is indeed the case, and, and Rodgers would know better than most that they're having these discussions so, without, the almi- without the almighty number 12, then maybe the general manager finally grew up here and they're, uh, they're going to, the, 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 you know, <laughs> maybe they're going to, maybe they're going to get the, their ducks kind of back in a line and, in in Green Bay, Evil. Oh, oh, yeah, Rodney. Yeah, I was just gonna say, Rob. Uh, we were talking last night, and I was saying I feel like Aaron Rodgers at this point he has gained as much power and control as probably humanly possible for a football player. I don't I don't think there's much left for him to really gain here. Yeah, and you know when you compare it to other sports, about the only thing comparable, right, guys, is. Maybe some NBA players have had this level of, of say in building a roster, you know, LeBron James or whatever. But, you know, Tom Brady, I don't even think, ever had this level of say in personnel or, you know, a seat at the big boy table at Thanksgiving, you know, for, for the past handful of years. And, um, and, and again, I just, you know, you, you, you trace back history. I just, I just don't 
remember many situations like this happening. And, and again, I, I don't think it's healthy for anybody. I think it creates an un- unhealthy situation, guys, in in the locker room all, all the way up to, you know, to the front office when, when you give a player that level of power. And, you know, I, I think it would be far healthier for everybody in Green Bay if, if they eliminated this power structure power structure by, you know, eventually moving on here now this offseason from Rodgers. Man. So, uh, Robbie, let me ask you. I know on Forbes.com you had an article out uh, yesterday. I'm just going to read the kind of the tweet you had, then you can go into it. The legendary Tom Brady retired Wednesday, which was bad news for quarterback-starved teams. It was also good news for the Packers, who could now get more for Aaron Rodgers in a trade. Robbie, what say you? Just simple math, Evo, right? I mean, you, you, t- you take one of the elite stud potential quarterbacks off the market, and I know Brady has certainly declined, and I think he's getting out at the right time. He's probably getting out a year or two too late. Um, but, but the bottom line is there would have been – you know, I, I, at least you know three to six suitors for Tom Brady's services next year. We have we have half the league that's desperate for quarterbacks. Well, clearly you take one of those guys off the market. Simple math tells you the price for Aaron Rodgers goes up, and and this is the time for Green Bay to strike guys because you you know every year that this drags out, every year that they that they dork around, and, and there's my term, Evo. I love it. Keep using dork it. Around. Dork, dorking around, baby. <laughs> dork around by bringing him back and, and probably understanding you're never going to win a Super Bowl again with this guy. And you're probably looking at a 500 level type of football team next year. If, if he's on it every year that they continue to do this, Evo, the price tag for him goes down. And, and that's why I think you strike now when the iron is hot, Brady's off the market. Um, I don't, I don't think it's going to be a particularly strong draft for, or I'm sorry, strong free agency period for quarterbacks. The draft has a lot of potential, but you know, again, Evo, you, you've got, you know, eight to 12 teams easily in this league that would love to have a different quarterback next season. And, you know, the price for Aaron Rodgers, it, 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 again, you're not going to get Russell Wilson level uh, capital back for him. You're not going to get Matthew Stafford type situation, uh, you know, draft picks and players, et cetera, for Aaron Rodgers. Probably at, at this point in his career, he turns 40 in December. But I still think, Ebo, you get you can get a pair of ones, probably at worst a one and a two. And if you can do that and start over with Jordan Love and start to get your financials in, in order, which which they clearly need to do, sitting, you know, fifteen to twenty million dollars over the cap as we talked today, Ebo. Um, it, it, it's time to do that. You you have a hump year or two, maybe where, you know, you're your second or third in the division, which is all I think they're gonna be anyways with Aaron Rodgers. Did the chickens come home to roost last night? We'll find out. This is the Midwest Farm Report. Welcome back on a Friday morning. I'm Stephanie Hoff, filling in for Farm Director Pam Yonke. A lot of new faces in Congress means agriculture organizations have a big job to do, making sure lawmakers understand what farm families and agribusinesses need in the next farm bill. CHS is the largest cooperative in America, owned by nearly 600,000 producers and headquartered in the Upper Midwest. Will Stafford is their Washington representative. He tells me what's top of mind for him in this new session. We're really focused on the farm bill. Trade policy is going to be big as well. And we're always looking at what else we can do to better represent our farmer owners and our company. What's the appetite among federal legislators when it comes to farm policy? 
I think there actually is an appetite for it. I think the issue is that there aren't many people in Congress that fully understand farm policy. There are ones that do, and they're great, and they're our champions um, that we really rely on. But a big part of our job is education for especially new members as they come in in this next Congress, new staff. And that's going to be a heavy lift for um, not just CHS, but the industry as, in, as a whole. What does education look like? Are you bringing them to a farm, or is it more of a sit-down? Yep, bringing them to farms is actually part of it. I know a lot of groups, including CHS, does that. We bring them to owners' farms. We bring them to facilities in their district. Um, but sitting down with their staff, explaining what a co-op is, even things as basic as that, explaining things that are important to our cro- to our owners, like crop insurance, um, which is generally the number one concern we hear about in the next farm bill, is protecting crop insurance. Um, even explaining things that to your everyday farmer might seem pretty elementary, not necessarily is to some 25-year-old working up in Congress. You mentioned crop insurance being a top issue for farmers in the region that you cover. What else have you been hearing from the ground up about the top issues they're facing that they want addressed in 2023? So in 2023, we are due to get a reauthorization of the current farm bill that is up every five years. So that needs to get done by September of 2023 or extended. So there's a lot of talk with ag groups in D.C. about what that might look like, people getting their priorities together. Like I said, crop insurance is always a big one, making sure that that the farm safety net, those ARC and PLC programs that farmers use, making sure that those are working adequately in today's economic environment is another one we hear a lot about. Input costs, trade, I think will play um, big in the farm bill. And then I think the conservation title is another one that we're going to hear about as well. Carbon, sustainability, um, anything that has to do with climate is going to be something that's talked a lot about. And I'm sure that has a lot to do with the current administration, right? There's a big focus on climate smart initiatives. Do you see that as pro-farmer or are you trying to get like the incentives for farmers? Just walk me through what, what that environment looks like. Yeah, sure. So USDA recently has been very focused on on grants for for farmers and and other entities um, to help adopt what they're calling climate smart ag practices. So a lot of that is cover crops, no-till, things like that. It's much more incentive-based so far, which we would be supportive of. And I will say USDA has done, in my opinion, a good job of reaching out to farm groups and making sure that stakeholders have been part of that process. So as long as that stays incentive-based and not as a regulatory burden on farmers, um, you know, I think that's something that we would would be supportive of. For us, the big ones are, like I said, incentive-based, voluntary, equitable across across crops and regions, and doesn't penalize farmers who have already adopted these practices already. And so far, like I said, I think USDA has actually done a pretty good job of doing that. And, and they've shown that they're willing to work with their stakeholders. And I don't see any reason for that to change in the next two years, but we will always be there to talk to them and work with them and represent our farmers. I want to talk trade with you because that hasn't been a primary focus for the administration since he started. It was more of focusing on domestic issues. How is CHS pushing for more trade negotiations, more export opportunities? We're always pushing for lowering of tariffs, science, evidence-based trade policy with other countries, really just breaking down barriers that allow our farmers to access these markets abroad. We fully believe that our owners grow the best and the most abundant food supply in the world. And if markets are open to having it, we can get it to them. Any challenges that you foresee that would hold up any approval of some 
some of the, the issues that you are looking to address? Well, farm bills are always tough to get done in general, um, you know, and it's always possible we see an extension of the current one. Um, it's always a, a needle that needs to be threaded. Um, but I do think that the current leadership under Chairwoman Stabenow in the Senate um, and Chairman G.T. Thompson in the House, um, the leadership is there to get it done. They've done these bills before, um, and I think that they will get a bill done. But again, just getting people to understand our concerns in Congress is always a hurdle. Um, we, every election, we're seeing less and less rural representation in Congress, um, and we're seeing members that have never voted on farm policy before. So just getting them to understand what um, the concerns of farmers are and why that impacts their constituents as well um, is, is definitely a hurdle, but I think it's one that our industry is up for. That's the word from Capitol Hill from Will Stafford. He's the Washington representative for CHS. He says while he has his hands full getting new members of Congress up to speed on egg policy, there is excitement surrounding this 2023 Farm Bill. And don't forget about his final message. Each Congress has fewer folks with farm background, so reach out to your legislators and be a resource. This is another reminder to keep your skin covered if you have to go outside today. Wind chill advisory until noon today. We're looking at a painfully cold wind of 25 below zero. It takes a toll on all of us, including our livestock. UW Extension Beef Outreach Specialist Bill Halfman says that producers need to keep an eye on the body quality of their beef cows, especially if you want a healthy calf and continuously producing mama cow. The tipping point for many animals starts happening right at 32 degrees. You know, if we think about it, if we get all wet and get out in the cold wind, it feels a lot colder to us too and we start shivering and that's basically burning energy to stay warm that would otherwise be used for other things. So kind of a rule of thumb is for every one degree Fahrenheit below the critical temperature, uh, their energy needs go up by about 1%. So. You know, you can visit with your nutritionists and or get a hold of some of your extension folks as well to say, you know, what's the plan for when we get into these really cold conditions to help supplement those cows a little bit to keep them in good shape. He says whenever temperatures fall below freezing, producers need to be constantly evaluating shelter and feed for their cattle. Remember, the Wisconsin Cattlemen's Winter Conference is coming up February 11th in DeForest. You can head to wisconsincattlemen.com if you want some agenda details. Speaking of conferences, the Wisconsin Corn Soy Expo is wrapping up today at the Kalahari Resort in the Wisconsin Dells. You can find photos of the fun happening there at Fabulous Farm Babe on Facebook. Meanwhile, Charity Seebecker is down the street at Chula Vista Resort for the 31st annual Grassworks Grazing Conference. This goes through Saturday. Grassworks President Kevin Mahoko says this year's conference has record attendance and membership is picking up post-pandemic now that these types of events can be in person. He tells us how grazing has grown over the years. Managed grazing has just taken on a huge role in the agricultural field. I've kind of witnessed it from the mid-90s on. It was an inspiration for me then and what I've seen is that we actually have a lot of business development too with this so it's it's built communities it's kept farmers uh, really on the land we've had a lot of interest in new farmers coming in it's um, maybe not as much dairy as it used to be we have a lot of beef farmers a lot of uh, goats a lot of sheep uh, multi-species so people want that connection to the land in the community providing their food from their farm to their neighbor to the whole community that's Grassworks president Kevin Maholko.
And now let's take a look at our markets on a Friday morning. From Chicago, cash corn is down two and three quarters at six seventy-two and a half. December new crop corn is trading at five ninety-two and a half, down two and a half cents. Cash soybeans are up two pennies at fifteen thirty-six and a quarter. And November new crop soybeans are up a quarter of a cent at thirteen seventy and three quarters. Cash wheat is down three and three quarters at seven fifty-seven and a quarter. And July new crop wheat is down three and a quarter at seven seventy-two and a quarter. Moving on to fluid milk, the Class Three March milk contract is up 11 cents, trading at 17.90 a hundredweight. April milk is at 18.12 a hundredweight. That's up 19 cents. On the close yesterday, barrel cheese was up a penny and three quarters at a dollar sixty. The forty-pound block cheese down two cents at a dollar eighty-seven and a half, and double A butter was up three cents, closing at two thirty-six. Before we talk about the hemp market, the National Farm Medicine Center wants to know how you balance work and life. Researchers are asking farmers to be a part of a new survey to understand how farm families balance kids and work and how it impacts the farm business and the family dynamics. The article is on the front page of MidwestFarmReport.com if you'd like to be a part of it. As promised, we're talking hemp next. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. White mold and sudden death syndrome are two of the most important fungal diseases in soybean production today. But did you know 40 to 50 million acres in the north central region are affected annually? When every season has different disease challenges, the question becomes, how can you ensure the best start for your soybeans no matter what? The answer is Heads Up. Trusted by growers across the Midwest, Heads Up offers a new mode of action to prime your beans to help fight fungal disease. Compatible and cost effective. For more information, visit HeadsUpST.com. Wisconsin Farm Bureau leadership opportunities have benefited me in multiple ways. Right now, I'm a member of the Farm Bureau Leadership Institute, and I always thought I was a good public speaker. And then we went through some of that training in our very first session, and I had these aha moments that I'm going to use when I am promoting agriculture to consumer groups. WFBF.com. You should reach out to them. A voice for farmers, a vision for agriculture. Wisconsin Farm Bureau. Chris Collini with a dirty little secret. Growing up, we were encouraged to track mud in the house. After all, dirt has been our family business for generations. Today we rely on more than our boots to transport our nutrient-rich soils. We have bigger trucks and better equipment if you need it delivered. Or you can simply pick it up at our awesome dirt-filled processing plant. Take it from a worm. Trust the guys who know good dirt. Collini Topsoil. Now that's good dirt. Sweeta Metal Roofing customers choose us because they don't want to worry about their roof anymore. There's no curling, it won't blow off, and you won't find granules in your gutters. It's one and done. It is the last roof you'll ever need. I'm Mike. And Mary Sweeta. Enjoy the long-lasting architectural strength and beauty of a Sweeta Metal Roof. S-W-I-T-A MetalRoofing.com Sweeta Metal Roofing, the last roof you'll ever need. Bringing home the bacon, literally. This is the Midwest Farm Report. Wisconsin continues to be a hub for hemp research, even having a hand in developing some new resources for growers, such as the Midwestern Hemp Database and the Emerging Crops website. I'm Stephanie Hoff for the Midwest Farm Report. I caught up with Philip Alberti. He's a research program manager at UW-Madison, and he walks me through trends he's seeing in Wisconsin's hemp industry 
and tells me about the resources that hemp growers now have at their fingertips, beginning with that Midwestern hemp database. Yeah, we've been working on it kind of in the background for the last few years, um, a wide-scale collaboration with several land-grant institutions here in the Midwest, but we just launched our kind of grain fiber side of the database. So growers, whether they're growing for high cannabinoid hemp like CBD or CBG or grain fiber hemp, have a resource for agronomic performance and cannabinoid development. What exactly are growers going to see when they when they open it up? And is it online? It is all online and it's completely interactive. Uh, so when you go there, it might be a little overwhelming at first. So, you know, what are we really looking at? But it contains all of the research reports from all of the university trials that we've done that feed into the database. So if people want to see where the data came from originally, they can see that as well. But it just provides an opportunity, kind of like a variety catalog for growers to look at, you know, when... If I was in Illinois and I grew this, or if I was in Wisconsin, when did it flower? What were the cannabinoid development like for that particular genetic? And how often was it or was it not compliant? Which is ultimately the biggest goal for growers is to grow something that they could harvest successfully at the end of the season. So we're just trying to treat this as like an interactive variety catalog for all things hemp. Speaking of catalog, another thing coming down the pipeline, it sounds like a lot of seed certifications for hemp. Yeah, I mean, just given that, you know, cannabis as a whole, um, especially hemp, wasn't legalized as a in the country until 2018, um, a lot of the seed certification, you know, organizations, whether that be state departments of ag or crop improvement agencies, were a little probably worried about getting involved with the shifting sand that was regulation, but we're starting to see state organizations, departments of ag, start to certify seed from providers to give growers an idea of reputable seed providers, which is something we really didn't have. Um, the list has been growing over the last few years, but that's just one piece of the puzzle that's that's about genetic uniformity and are the plants looking the way that we expect them to, but doesn't always include things like agronomic performance or compliance. And so it's one piece of the puzzle that growers can use to make their decisions and then go take a look at the database to, to make those final selections. When you showed me a sample of some of the different seeds coming down the pipeline, it reminded me of like the names of tomatoes that I find in my garden seed catalog. And that led me to wonder, can you plant hemp in a home garden or is that not allowed? It depends on the acreage requirements and the tax code of the land. So it's technically supposed to be done on a farm, but what a farm really is all comes down to, you know, tax codes and things like that. So um, there are acreage requirements. So I think you know, depending on if it's an indoor or an outdoor field, there are acreage requirements, but many growers have found ways to get creative with where they grow, given the current uh, regulatory landscape. I want to talk about Wisconsin's hemp landscape. Can you tell me about the number of growers, number of acres in the state, and how that's been trending since it was legal to grow as of 2018? Yeah, you know, Wisconsin's a unique case because we were handling our own regulation through uh, Wisconsin Department of Agriculture, Trade, and Consumer Protection, DATCAP. But as of last year, passed the, the regulation off to the USDA. So the state of Wisconsin follows the federal USDA hemp program, which is basically just changes who your regulatory body is and who's enforcing the hemp licensing. So we've seen some changes as a result of that as growers are getting accustomed to the new plan, new regulation, and who they need to speak with. So we've seen a dip in the last couple of years of hemp growers and licensed acreage, but with the the shifting kind of focus away from, you know, smaller scale CBD, CBG to larger scale grain and fiber, the amount of research dollars that are, are being 
funneled it both at the federal and state levels for hemp. We're seeing a push towards commercial grain and fiber production more so, even though the processing centers are still kind of getting developed. There's been a huge push for that type of hemp given the potential. Well, so where's the value then in the hemp market? Is it more towards the fiber side of things now and not so much... CBD. I, I would say that right now, especially on a smaller scale, the value still might be in a CBD field if you have a processor lined up and have been kind of weathered the storm the last few years and kind of got things up and running. But we're starting to see pockets of hemp fiber processing happen throughout the country. And that has been a direct result of federal and state funding coming in to help with some of these projects. Um, and so I'm hopeful that we'll get a better idea of what that's going to look like in the next few years with all of this grant funding just coming in to play right now. When we hear kind of the short life story of Wisconsin hemp, uh, you know, since it was legal to grow in 2018, the story has been that the market kind of was flooded. That's what we've heard from growers. Is that still the case? So there's been a lot of supply over the last few years that growers have been trying to get rid of, you know, 2019, 2020 material. From my experience, we're starting to see processors looking for biomass from growers, which is the first time that's happened in a few years because of this oversupply. So processors who had plenty of material are now starting to look to refill their stocks for the future. That's not to say to go jump in and start a bunch of hemp uh, all over again. But what it is saying is that there's an equilibrium that's kind of being met, and we're starting to figure out what those needs are. But this is a long play. It's a new crop. We're in the stage that corn and you know corn was in the early 1900s, and so we have a long way to go with establishing this crop, developing health and safety standards, which are still a long way off. This is in the, for the long haul, and we're seeing this as something that maybe 20, 30 years from now we can really see the impacts of the work that's being done. And our researchers at UW-Madison are on the front lines. Can you tell me about some of the, just like a brief overview of what you're focusing on right now in your test plots? Sure. So I work in Dr. Shelby Ellison's lab, and, and Dr. Ellison's actually been a, a big player in hemp for the, la- for the last three, four years. I mean, she's on several larger national grant projects focusing on germplasm collection. So how do we collect these wild hemp populations all across the state? How do we preserve them for breeding programs? And so if we're, we're looking for cooperators who know of wild hemp sites, they can reach out to us and we'll send a team to go out collect it and they get to help with the, serving the greater good of this research. But also grower cooperator trials. If you're interested in growing grain or fiber or CBD type hemp and you're a producer who has a license or is looking to get that, uh, we have several trials that we run. We provide costs of seed. We provide testing costs. Growers just need to be licensed and be willing to to work with us on it. And that material can be kept provided they, they are compliant at the end of the season. So if you're an interested grower who wants to try something new, try hemp again or wants to get better at growing it, reach out to us. We have opportunities to partner and maybe cut some of these costs down. Philip Alberti is a research program manager in the Department of Horticulture at UW-Madison with a focus on hemp. Thanks for taking along with me on a Friday morning. We'll catch you back here same time next week. Have a good weekend. I'm Stephanie Hoff.